Oh, hi there. It's me, Trevor Ickrath, the host of Earwolf's Hallelujah Monkeys Gorillas podcast. Uh, this episode that you're about to listen to was originally recorded to come out last week, around, what was that, Tuesday or so, I think. Um, but unfortunately, my co-host, who will remain nameless, uh, had a bunch of shit go down, and so it can't. He couldn't make it happen. Uh, but here it is now. Still perfectly good. Just talking about some news that's maybe a little older. Hope you enjoy it. Trevor Ickrath, signing off. This is Damon Albarn, and you're listening to Alleluia Monkeys, the number one gorillas podcast in the world. Hello and welcome to Hallelujah Monkeys for November 7th. My name is Dylan Flynn. My name is Trevor Ickrath. Trevor Ickrath. We, we Dylan Flynn. We're, we're a day late. We're a day late. Sorry. We're a day late. We're recording at night. I'm very sleepy, but it's a good episode for that. It is. It's good. This is this is the tone. This is the tone. This is it's the even, tone. Let's... It's even it's even a little rainy and muggy where I am. So that's it's, kind of it's almost raining by me, which is LA's trying very hard. Uh, trip report, the bot mitzvah went great. <laughs> Your sister's a woman now? She's a woman now. She she really impressed all of us. The rabbi was cool and young and hip. She had a ba- backward baseball cap, and she straddled a chair and said, let's rap about Moses. <laughs> Did they, they lift the chair up while she was sitting in it like backwards? That would have been pretty no, cool. No, but, but no. But Shelly and I did link hands and do the big dance in the circle, so that was a thing. There you go. Religions, man. Religions, man. Religions. Uh, my religion is gorillas news. You want to hear some? Yeah. Why don't we break into it? It's all good news now. Hey, don't forget after the show, we're still premiering exclusive world premiere gorillas versus log S tracks. And this week's is a banger. You should check it that out. That last one was so good too. And yeah, I, I listened to uh, the new one before we started recording and he, he just keeps on churning out very impressive stuff. Sick and totally different than last week's, like tone-wise. This one's called Work It Out. And uh, maybe from the title, you can work out what they're, what some of the some of the material being used hey. is. What do you think? Um, Trevor. Dylan. Did you know that we're in the middle of the, or perhaps the, the first act of the European leg of the Humans 2017 tour? It's upon us. I bet they're really uh, doing some cool stuff with the uh, set list, really switching stuff up to uh, <laughs> no. give our give our fellow Gorillas fans abroad some <laughs> some new tasty treats. Wrong, wrong. No, and no? also they brought back "Don't Get Lost in Heaven" Demon Days closer, and in in its place, completely jettisoned Plastic Beach, like I told them not to do. Mm, yeah, but I mean, I'm glad that they're not closing the entire show with it anymore. Me you know, too, they... but I told them, you remember, I told I know, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> I told Damon must have missed that episode. <laughs> He's been busy. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah, there's been no debuts or anything so far. They are they are bringing Every Planet We Reach back. Well, that's cool. Yeah, and Oh Green World. And they're playing uh, some kind of nature pretty consistently now. Yeah, that, that debuted towards the end of the North American dates, and they're doing it uh, a lot, which is interesting because it's like, are they going to do something with it? I mean, obviously Lou isn't there. <laughs> I don't know. Right, what. yeah. I don't know. Who would you um who would be cool to hear handle that vocal line? I mean, look, at this point, 
all I'm really doing is waiting for Ben Mendelsohn to show up. So I'll just say Ben Mendelsohn. Come Mendelson. on, man. Come I'll on, Ben. Come any, through. <laughs> any of them, really. Yeah. Until then, how about uh, how about um, uh, uh, Jamie Principal? Jamie Principal would be sick. That'd be yeah, awesome. Yeah, give give him some kind of nature. For sure. That he's 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 got a little bit of a Lou Reed energy to him too. You know, like much more much more like. And a much more energetic version of it, like a cocaine version of, of Lou Reed's heroin vibe, but but the same kind of, you know. Or they could get a uh, Pew and Everett to do it. Ooh, that would also be awesome, although I think he's missed the last couple of dates. What's going he on? Is. He's, What's going he's, on? I don't think he's on the tour anymore. Hmm. I don't think he could, uh, I think he wasn't able to make the European leg, although that's what I've, that's what I've heard, but I don't know. Pevin Everett, who was there for every date of the North American tour, they never let him do do halfway to the halfway house, huh? Disappointing, right? Yeah, I know. I know you were holding out for that one, and I was I was right there with you. Seems like it would have been a, a show of respect. Exactly. You know? But yeah. who knows? Maybe he'll be back. Maybe he's just taking a little breather. Even come back home to the Gorillas tour. Did you know that Damon's been talking to the South American press? Right, he was on Rolling Stone in Argentina or something, right? Yeah, gorillas are the cover story on this month's edition. They've got a big picture of 2D on the cover, you know? Uh, I think this might have been um, the Rolling Stone article I was re- I referred to in our bonus episode, talking about the um, the version of Charger with Pauline Black on it, but I'm, I'm not totally sure. The, the one that I saw was like a cool, like Damon took a couple of shots at Liam Gallagher that were very funny. Always fun. But uh, but the best part was, you know, one of the themes of, of Phase 4 has been Damon Albarn becoming a fan of Damon Albarn and of Gorillaz, you know? Right. That's always good. Yeah. Looking back at his catalog and going like, hey, I'm pretty into this stuff. <laughs> and there's a, there's a relevant quote. Do you want to handle it? You want to take it? Yeah, I can handle it. I believe uh, Damon said something along the lines of, sometimes I fantasize about the continued progression of the music of Blur, Gorillaz, the one I recorded in Mali, in the Congo. The Good, the Bad, and the Queen, my solo material. If all my work was like a long set list, probably the middle point would be the song Caramel of 13, or something from the first Gorillaz album. Hmm, well, I like this uh, thought exercise for sure. Mm-hmm. I think we should we should extrapolate, and let's say that it is the latter, Trevor. What, what song from Gorillaz self-titled would you select to be the middle point of, like, Damon Albarn's evolution as a musician? Oh, it's got to be Rehash. Ooh, you like Rehash. That's a good call. It's gotta be Rehash, because, you know, it's got the kind of guitar-driven pop that he had just gotten fresh off Blur doing, you know? I mean, like, with a little, a few tonal adjustments, maybe some rearrangements, that song could have ended up on, like, Blur self-titled, almost. But it's 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 got that, but it's also got the kind of, like, you know, the sample work and the dub influences and that kind of that kind of stuff that would inform so much of his, like, post-Gorilla's work, too. I could feel that. The the it's interesting that he chose caramel, you know, like Right, yeah. I wouldn't have seen that one coming at all. Maybe because he thinks that was one of his big forward leaps into like being a little more experimental. Right, which is why the the one that I picked, even though I don't think it's a particularly great song, as the as the midpoint and what and here's what I was thinking, Trevor. This should be a song where I can both recognize the Damon Albarn who I've known up until this song. But then also extrapolate the Damon Albarn he would become after the song, right? I'm trying to guess what you're gonna what you're gonna pull out, and I feel like I I got it down to like three, maybe. Okay, well I'll, I'll tell you this right now: it's not a great song, but okay, okay. I think I I feel like I know what it is. I think it's Soundcheck Gravity. 
That's what I was going to say. There it was between go. that, Tomorrow Comes Today, and New Genius. <laughs> and when you were like, it's not a great song, I was like, well, those two are out. So well, yeah, yeah I think that's like the that's like the 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 Crow Magnon Damon Albarn song on the on the on the self-titled in a way. Uh, but if I can reach back into some older Damon interviews, uh, he actually um, cited "On Your Own" from the from the self-titled Blur album as the first true Gorilla song. So that might be a good place to like you know stick that particular flag. That's another song that I don't think is very good. <laughs> I hate that song. It's one of the worst one of the worst Blur album songs, like for sure. Definitely, like, bottom three Blur singles, too, probably. We all go hot potato in the disco. I understand what the label saw on it, but boy, it's not really for me. Uh, The big news, of course, this week, Trevor, is that we had the single release of Garage Palace. Garage Palace, or Galage Paris. Galage Paris. uh, By the way... I, if you look at the full credits for this, well, let's look at, let's get into it. So there was so there was the single release. It went up on Spotify. Has its own cool little album art, um, and with it came this really neat little quotes visualizer. Yeah, which I'm almost tempted to just if Strobe Light is a gorillas video, this feels oh my like God. It. and I liked I liked this so much more than Strobe Light. I know. I feel like if the Strobe Light's a gorillas video, this ought to be a gorillas video. Yeah, I mean this doesn't this doesn't capture the tone of humans quite the way Strobe Light does, but it's so much fun. It's a lot of fun. It was directed by uh Noah Harris, who also made that little We Got the Power uh stop motion clip for Eon. Right, with all the toys. Uh, which was also a lot of fun. And that was cool, but I like this a lot better. We should probably say what it is, right? It's kind of like, um, it's a tribute to like, I guess, old arcade games, really. That's yeah, what I recognize. It's all done in pixel art. Um, right. And the first half is kind of this side scrolling beat em up segment. That's a lot like, the. I don't know if like anyone else will get these references, but like the old like Ninja Turtles games, uh, the old X-Men games that this really good Simpsons arcade game that they used to have. For sure. My favorite piece of art in the whole video is during that part. It's when Sims is like creating these rings of blue energy out of her hands. Uh, yeah, that part was very And there's sweet. like all these ninjas flying away from the point of impact. Really cool. Mm-hmm. You got a 2D driving the car while like Russell blows him away with like a Gatling gun or something. Yeah, interesting. I- I'd love to know how that all exactly shook out. Jamie Hewlett does not have a credit in the credits of this video. Uh, oh, interesting. Like if somebody else gets like additional character design. Somebody's credited with Little Sims character design. No Jamie Hewlett credit whatsoever. Um, some of it looks like it was definitely just pixel art interpolations of of Jamie Hewlett, existing Jamie Hewlett art. Um, yeah, I, rec- I felt like some stuff was pretty recognizable. But some of it seemed like it might be new. And then, and then like you said, after the beat-em-up thing, it sort of transitions into like a, a top-down and side-scrolling like shmup, like a shoot-em-up style. Yeah, uh, I, I couldn't, I can't name any games like this like off the top of my head, but I'm sure I've played some like while waiting for like a pizza in Pizza Hut or something. Uh, yeah, 1942 comes to mind. There's a bunch of these, you know. Okay, um, yeah. And then, and then she kind of like is making her way to this giant tower. Let's go ahead and call it the Garage Palace, I suppose. Sure, okay. And then she ascends to the top to, to face the boss, who's like this giant golden Buddha. Uh, With like a neon <laughs> smile that keeps turning into a frown. And yeah, back again. yeah. Very cool. Very interesting. I wonder. And like, it, it, it leaves us at a cliffhanger because we don't find out how that battle goes. Well, yeah, it just says enter coins to continue. And I... And I I threw change at my at my MacBook and nothing happened. Unfortunately, do you think do you think she do you think she could have done it, Lil Sims? Do you think she could have taken out that boss? I mean, if she saved one of her super attacks, I think it's a, I think it's totally in the bag for her. 
That's the trick, saving one of your super attacks right till the end. Exactly, exactly. Very cool video. So much more than I was expecting. You know, really, part of it, I think, was that we had so much buildup to that strobe light video that it could only really disappoint us, you know? Yeah, but whereas they kind of just dropped this in our laps. Like, here. I assumed we were going to get that same, like, flickering panel shot of the human's faces like we always get, you know? Right, yeah. But this was very cool, uh, very original, and the pixel art style works very well with the gorilla's character. Where's my Where's my four player Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle? Seriously, style? you know. Oh, I still want I still want a JRPG. Also, would be sick. That I'll take would any be of my them. shit. Yeah, I'll take any of them. One day we're gonna have an entire. Maybe it'll be a bonus episode or something where you and I sit down and plot out a gorilla's like RPG. I think that'd be a lot of fun. Uh, best dressed award. Got to give to Sim for her big, crazy, flowing anime red coat. That's very cool. Not that Buddha. I love that Buddha. I do love that Buddha. That's probably other than other than her her energy attacks. That's like one of my favorite parts of the video. So right, yeah. Welcome to the canon. You're the you're the you're the second best face for gorillas video in the humble opinion of this podcast co-host. Which probably puts you in like maybe like the top five or six gorillas videos. Period. Because I mean, I was thinking about them. Not a lot. Not a lot there. Yeah, maybe, maybe so, maybe so. I don't maybe, think, maybe. We'll, we'll see how that shakes out when we eventually do our gorillas video retrospective. Speaking of retrospectives, do you want to, do you want to get into uh, the roundtable? Yeah, let's talk about um, the good, uh, the bad, and um, Netflix is the queen. The queen. <laughs> So, Dylan, uh, these past couple episodes, I've I've started out our roundtable section by kind of painting a picture with words for you. And oh, I, I was I hoping prepared, you'd do the same. I was hoping you'd course, do the same. Of course, yes, this yes. Week. So, so I I believe this, the beginning of this story starts as soon as Gorilla's Phase Two ends. Okay, this is I I feel like this probably doesn't track actual timeline wise, but here's what I picture. Okay, <laughs> Damon walks into his apartment fresh off Gorilla's Phase Two. He's probably just gotten home from one of the Apollo. Apollo gigs, and he takes off his hat, hangs it up, takes off his coat, and what does he do? Damon Auburn's like a workaholic, right? So he oh yeah, he he's office sit, hours famous. He sits down at his like you know his little piano in his in his studio apartment or whatever he lives in now his home office, and he's he's looking out. He's looking out. What is what's what's that river? The Thames? Uh, yeah, the Thames River flows right through bisects uh, London into North and South. Sure, and he's looking he's looking out at the river, and he's thinking, you know what? I think I think. Girls is over now, you know, I gotta put it on the back burner. I think it's finally time for me to do a solo album. My my Damon, you know, Damon Auburn. This album by Damon Auburn. Maybe I'll even maybe I'll even self-title it. And but but what does he see? What does he see looking uh, out the window? Just as he the just London he's, as he's coming up no, what what just as he's coming up with a solo album idea, a a whale crests up <laughs> out of the water. <laughs> And he's just transfixed by it. And and he grabs a pen and he crosses out the Damon Auburn solo album that he's written on this piece of sheet music that he's put over his piano. And he scrawls the good, the bad, 
and the queen. And right. as he as as he finishes it, as he adds in that last Oxford comma, which we should probably talk about, the the room is is it shakes and his I, I imagine he has a big, you know, collection of records and a couple fall out onto the ground and he he, he picks them up and what is he? He finds London Calling uh-huh. by the Clash. Urban Hymns, one of the last great Britpop records by the Verve. It's got Bittersweet Symphony on it, classic. And a um uh, a Fela Kuti album, because Tony Allen drums on those, right? Uh-huh. He picks those up and he's like I know what I got to do now. And the, re- the rest is history. It's all thanks to that whale. Yep. <laughs> history song. Where, uh, where is it now? Uh, this album came out in 2007, January of Trevor Aircraft. And uh, uh, let, me, let, me, let me mention, you already mentioned one of them, but I want to point out four albums that I think kind of form a galaxy of albums with this album. Let me hear it. Um, I, I kind of see this album as a tribute to London Calling. I kind of see it as a sequel to Park Life. Absolutely. I see it as a spiritual successor to Arthur and the decline of the British Empire by, by uh, the Kinks. That's a great album. No Kinks members here, though. No, but I see, you know, the way that that album looked at, at the declining importance of the British identity in post-war England, I feel like this does a, symbol, a similar thing. And then, of course, it's impossible to underplay the fact that this is really a companion piece to Demon Days. It's, uh, it's, it's pondering the same kind of chicken little end of the world ideas, just on a much more micro scale. And it moves very similarly as well. It kind of starts off in the dark, and then we're slowly led through to a lighter part of the album with this kind of really transcendent finish where we kind of finally crest the melancholy. And last week, Trevor, uh, I, I controversially mentioned that I list this album as one of my favorites of the decade. Uh, to you which did? You... That shocked me a little bit. I, I, I gotta say, I really do enjoy this album quite a lot, but that would be a bit of a stretch for me. I want to I give you a little bit more context. I do think it's a brilliant album, although it, has, it is not perfect or unflawed. Uh, but I moved to London, England uh, in the summer of 2006, and by January of oh, 2007... Oh, so there was no way this wasn't going to be one of your favorite albums. Exactly. By January of 2007, I was living in this dilapidated, like, falling apart uh, flat share in Muswell Hill, where there were leaks in the ceiling, and we had at least one or two rats... Uh, who had who had lived in there, and we had this angry Greek landlord who would like illegally enter our our uh, our house while we were all asleep and hung over and scream at us because the rent was late. I mean, like the the vibes of my life at that time were very much the vibes of this album. So it's very special to me on a personal. Interesting. Level. Yeah, I imagine it would be. Well, I wanted to ask you something real quick as somebody who actually lived in uh, London around this time. Does this sound like 2007 England to you? I think th- no. I think that the vibe there was funnier than this. I think that okay. there's a there's a there's a, a, a British gallows humor that is indivisible in times of like national embarrassment. It's so kind of important to the British identity, and there was a whole lot of like eye rolling happening in 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 England at this time, as opposed to kind of like gloom and and ire although both of those were were also present from what i witnessed but it does absolutely capture the visual reality of london of this time and and the fog and the rain and the vibes and in that sense but uh, but i think 
it also probably speaks more to the inner realities of the British people at that time rather than the social realities. You know what I mean? Like Very interesting. Because something I wanted to talk about uh, with this album is like, I, I think it has like a very interesting kind of sense of time and place. Like, like we said, it's kind of like for all intents and purposes, like a sequel to Park Life. Yeah, and that absolutely. it's kind of like this long form exploration about what it means to be English through like um, glimpses and sketches of everyday English life. Yeah. But like, I, like I've always thought Park Life paints like a very specific portrait of England in like the 90s. Whereas this album's England almost feels like it's kind of like unstuck in time. Yeah. Sometimes and like, it feels like we're in the, in the 19th century, maybe. You I, know? I, I like, I actually feel like a lot of it takes, like sounds like it takes place during World War One. Sure, I can feel that too. Like, uh, there's all this all this talk of war and like soldiers, and I think it's um interesting that Damon got someone from the Clash to play bass on this album because like the lyrics feature a lot of the same imagery that Joe Strummer would employ when writing about like English nostalgia on my favorite Clash album, Sandinista. Sandinista. Yeah, I thought a lot about that album. Yeah, uh, in songs like something about England and Rebel Waltz. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, I also felt like it, it. we seemed to be floating backwards in time at times. And then timey-wimey, dreamy-weamy. Yeah. And then, and then every, every now and then I feel like he, he, he places a flag kind of boldly and, and explicitly here in the, in the present. Um, right. There are these moments where we can tell kind of like where we are, I think. Uh, but yeah, okay, okay. So let me ask you: Do you have three adjectives for me? I do. I think they're all pretty straightforward, actually. Me too. Go for it. I got melancholic. Great. Wistful. Nice. And I had to do it. English. English. I like it. I like it. Yeah. Uh, as you know, I like to use my third to to make kind of a critical uh, pass at the album as well. So sure. Two of these are, are perhaps positive, and one's maybe a little bit more negative. But uh, my three are mournful. Mm-hmm. Um, groovy, nice. Okay, and the one that the, the here's my critical one. Stiff. I think I think uh, at times the good, the bad, and the queen sounds like the work of a new band, of a band that doesn't exactly know all of its chemistry backwards and forwards. There are especially some songs on here where there's a lot of like pre-sequenced uh, uh, synth lines, and the band is kind of awkwardly trying to wrap themselves around it. Um, which, which, uh, which adds, I mean, it's definitely a sound. It's definitely, uh, 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 these songs all sound like the same band. It's just sometimes they feel very at ease with each other. And sometimes they feel a little bit like, okay, I guess you're doing that. I guess I'll do something like this, you know? Interesting. I think they, they more often than not, they lock into the same groove together. Well, I think when they do, it's potent. I'll be interested in hearing you like say when they don't. Sure. Um, I think that the arrangements here are weird and and usually weird in a great way. Um, Danger Mouse, like I want to talk so much about Danger Mouse's production on this album, because as far as I'm concerned, he's basically a fifth member. He is a fifth member. And we'll see if that carries over into the, into the Brexit album that he's supposedly working on with this project, by the way, I'm, throughout, I can't No, It's, it's not going to remember. He's producing it with um, Tony Visconti. Oh shoot. You're right. You're right. Well, yep, no least, Danger Mouse this time. Which is going to be very interesting because he's very central to the way I hear this record. What about what about the name of the band? Is that something that we should touch on? Sure, because I want to ask you something. Yeah, two things actually. Uh, Oxford comma. Oxford comma. I use it. I didn't. I didn't always. Um, I I do give a fuck about it now. 
Gotcha. Uh, that, but, that answers one question, Ezra. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but the the version I have of this record, the the physical version, does not have one. All right. How about this? All right. Ready? Ready for question two? Yep. And or ampersand. Uh, the, I'm not looking at the cover right now, but I'm going to just go ahead and be bold and say ampersand. I think the ampersand is kind of essential here. Yeah. Yeah. I think, and I'm, I'm not usually an ampersand guy, but I think here you need that ampersand. I think it's, it's, it feels kind of ornate and English in a way that this album also feels. I do love the cover art for this album, by the way. The, the cover art is another like con- contributor to like why I feel like this album is kind of unstuck in time. Like, a, when is this? This I is like the, the, the London Fire, right? It's like, a, it's like a, a painting or a drawing of the London Fire. Is that what it is? I think the, the painting is uh, from like uh, the mid 1800s. It's by Thomas Schotter Boys. Although, like, whenever I looked up, uh, in like the lyric booklet on, on the Wikipedia, it says it's a painting of his that I don't really think it is. Like they say it's um, the Tower and Mint from Great Tower Hall, but like whenever you look it up, that's like not the cover of the Good, the Bad, and the Queen. What is, it's 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 like the Parliament Building on fire, and then like really t- uh, really tellingly on the other side of the fire, on the other side of the Thames, it's like all these people have kind of gathered to gawk at the fire. You know? Yeah, they're, they're like gawking or rioting or something like that. It, it more just looks like they're excitedly watching the fire. Yeah, I always, I always thought that they were the ones burning it down. Which, which in a way, is either interpretation, I think, kind of speaks to maybe some of the central themes of this record, the people in, in times of unrest. Um, Stroppy little island of mixed up people. Have we actually gone through the lineup and said who's on this record? We probably should do that, right? So this we, is a super group with a capital S. Um, right. And this feels like, like, like if there's like a super group club, these guys, I feel like they just make it in. Like, <laughs> like a super group with Simon Tong from the Verve in it. Yeah. He's like, yeah, yeah. He's like, he's a guitarist. Like, I feel like he's a guitarist from the Verve. I don't know a super ton about the Verve. I used to know more when I liked to like, listen to more Britpop. I don't think he's the guitarist from the Verve. That is a good point. I, I, I did not look up how prominent of a member of the Verve he is. Uh, but he's great here. I almost feel like he's kind of like a little underutilized hidden weapon that they've got. I think he's like a guitarist and keyboardist. Like if he's sort of multi-instrumentalist his way through that band or something like that. But Damon Auburn is also here playing keyboards and he sings. And pedigree wise, I think the rest of the band is pretty solid. Right. You got, uh, you got Paul, uh, Simonin on from bass. The Clash. He's from the clash. And you got Tony Allen. He's an Afrobeat drummer. That's, he's kind of like a little hero of Damon's, right? Well, and also, I mean, I love Afrobeat. Uh, Africa 70 and I mean I can't agree with everything that Fela Kuti did in his life but I think he was an incredible musician and uh, Fela even like would always go on record and say that there would be really no Afrobeat as you know it without Tony Allen his his patterns are what gave Afrobeat its sound he gets name checked on um, Blur's Music is My Radar mm-hmm. Tony Allen's got me dancing I mean, he is a—he's a fucking dynamite drummer, and the he's drumming great. on this album is incredible. What what little there is of it—that's the thing. They—they they, sometimes he doesn't jump on. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Danger Mouse is great, but I can't really like get behind him when he like does these kind of moves where he just ditches the drums. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It I don't know what happened. But we'll talk about it. We will talk about it. Um, <clears throat> and that's everybody, right? I think so, yeah. Dylan, one more question I want to ask you before we get into the song by song review. Do you have a shorthand for referring to this project? Uh, I always just do TGTB ampersand TQ. God, that whole thing? Sometimes I do GBQ. We, we got to do GBQ. I'm not going to be saying TGTB ampersand T 
cue the entire show. <laughs> we don't need to say that out loud. That's just usually how I type it. But I mean, technically, this band doesn't have a name, so. Right, right. And that's one of, I think that's one of Damon's little in-jokes. You know, he loves having these little jokes with himself that he repeats, like, like forever. Where he's like, yeah, the project doesn't really have a name, so. But now it kind of does have a name, because people are just calling it We'll that. see, we'll and see what Warner Music thinks about that when he tries to release that second album. And we'll see a little bit more of that humor later on in the show, too. It just grates on me a little bit. Let's start off with the first song on the record, History Song. History Song. This one's very cool. Immediately, we establish, the, in my opinion, the major visual motif of the record. Come the day you'll see the sun. The sun is the motif of this record, Trevor. It is referenced over and over and over again on almost every song. But it doesn't feel like it ever really comes out. Well, maybe it does later. Maybe. We'll have to see. But uh, here come the day you'll see the sun. London has a complicated relationship with the sun. It's always foggy and overcast. It gets very dark in the wintertime. It's a dreary place. Absolutely. My take on this song is I used to just, because, you know, if you if you don't know it now, then you will do. That's the hook of the song, the hook lyric or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that is a kind of an English colloquialism. You will do is in like you, you you will know it soon. But the other way you could kind of interpret that line is about history. Like if you don't yeah. know your history, then you're doomed to repeat it. I've always I've always like heard this song as Damon singing that message to England as yeah. kind of like a cautionary song. If you don't know it now, then you're going to do all it's the a, same it's shit. It's a very foreboding tune. It almost sounds like they're playing it in some kind of like aqueduct or something, you know, like late at night by some water. I really love that organ tone, um, that really, really shrill, stabby organ that uh, that Damon's playing. I think it interplays really nicely with the folk picking that Simon's doing on guitar. I love the way Simon's guitar sounds here. It sounds like uh, Danger Mouse is kind of beginning to start messing with the kind of production that he would eventually utilize on... Rome, that album he did a couple years later. I listened listen to, that? to that album once through, so I kind yeah. of know what you're talking about, I guess. Uh, it's but like yeah. kind of spaghetti western almost, and Simon Tong's guitar really has like a kind of dry, twangy sound here. Yeah, and and on his big entrance, Paul Simonin immediately announces himself as a player of very weird bass lines. I love it. He 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 always lets himself be known. He's not interested in playing your root note and staying out of the way. Paul is here to to get a groove going. Well, if you wanted to get you know if you wanted somebody to stay out of the way in your super group, you want to get Paul. That's true, and and Tony's doing some smart and subtle stuff here. He hasn't, he's not, re- he doesn't really explode on this song, um, but he, but he's in the pocket and and hitting all these kind of accent rhythms, these polyrhythms that you would hope a, a Nigerian genius like Tony Allen would hit. It's, it's all there. His drum work is always employed like super subtly on this record, though. I think like sometimes you can barely hear him, but he's there. It's almost, it's almost kind of haunting, like a, like a ghost of a percussion so it's always fun when you listen to a tony allen like drum pattern if you count if you do four counts along with it like how rarely he's hitting one two three or four he's always like finding some weird half rhythm to accent you know and danger mouse kind of almost attempts to match that whenever he does like um program drums on this album like especially during herculean but we'll talk about that with varying results with varying degrees of success <laughs> yes because how can you how can you like compete with this guy you know very hard to uh which is just another reason why don't you put him on the album more yeah it's it's, it's a little confusing i agree I, sometimes sometimes they hold him back and employ him 
in parts of songs that I think are really smart. But we'll we'll get there when we get there, I guess. Damon's really underselling his vocals in this song. He's he's very he's very buttoned down. Um, this is let's let's just say it. This is Damon's old man album. Oh yeah, absolutely. This is this is Damon Auburn like. English statesman who's been in a rock band and he's had a pop band, but now he's he's putting on a top hat. We should mention that top hat. Damien <laughs> wore a top hat this entire phase because he thought it's that true. was a good idea for some reason. It's he true. would sit there behind his old little piano with his top hat on and just play these songs about England. He this is did. this is the old Damon Albert album. And then the the next song is 80s Life. This is an interesting track. Um, this is my favorite song on the album and one of my favorite Damon Auburn songs in general. I do really like this song. What do you what's I that love little this song. what's that little like setting up like settling in breathing noise that happens during the intro? I was like playing that over and over again to try to figure out exactly what that is. Is somebody just breathing I into the mic or never noticed that. It's very interesting. Uh, this this song very blatantly employs what is called the fifties progression. Uh, for- I love it so much, and this is like this is England unstuck in time for me. You know, this is a song about eighties life, but we're using like fifties music to like set it to. Yeah, which for is you, so for you theory nerds, that's the one six four five progression. It's in like every fifties pop song. Stand by. It's me. like a doo wop song. Yeah, and and you complete with this really transcendent doo wop bridge where you get like. Five Damons singing at once, all doing this really fun vocal stuff. You know what I it reminds love, me of like, very much? You know what that hook reminds me of very much? Between the, the ba- Damon's backing vocals and his double track lead vocals? It what? It totally reminds me of the swagger. Oh, okay. That's pretty cool. I like that. Yeah. Um, and then you've got Simon on guitar and Paul on bass who are kind of impersonating a doo-wop vocal ensemble with their pieces, too. Right. And Simon's guitar work during that bridge is transcendent it's really gorgeous like he's painting with like such beautiful textures there and it's like he's really like underrated on this record in general i think there's no tony allen on the song is that right no nope just not here didn't show up i guess or danger mouse danger mouse was like hey uh tony could you could you like uh go move my car or something i might i I think i think i (laughs) might be in a no parking zone he's like sure and then he goes out and they record this song what did he do during the live dates do you remember he just did a little, you know, he played along, huh. which he could have done here. In spite of Tony's absence, I actually think that the mixing on the song is really cool and really interesting. The bass is like really fat and raw sounding, and it's almost like Damon's vocals are like fighting to, to climb above them, but but never quite can, you know? It's very interesting. And, and even though he's a little bit more buttoned down in the verses, he does kind of let it rip uh, with, his, with his chorus vocals, especially the... the it all looks good on you. That he yeah, really, he really, really he kills this one. This is this feels like Damon doing like karaoke or something almost. I also love the vocalizations that happen after that chorus, Trevor. I love that little synth, the tiny like blip blip bloop that happens during that bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, so cool. It's it's like a detail you could almost miss because there's so much happening in the song, but it's a perfect Danger Mousian level of texture. I actually think Danger kind of nailed this one in my opinion <laughs> it sounds great i think um i think the vocals during the bridge are a little too high like they are very loud maybe it's just because there's so much of damon i think those can maybe be like brought down a little bit but otherwise love it, i man. love the way this one sounds it it almost feels like a bit of a throwaway but it's like deceptively great well my I, the way that i kind of interpret the themes of the song so 80s life i interpret that as like a thatcherism reference where mm-hmm. the way that england was kind of 
stuck with Tony Blair as their prime minister, and he was kind of blindly following George W. Bush's lead into the Iraq war, kind of mirrored the relationship between Thatcher and Reagan in a lot of ways. And the way that the 80s kind of looked back to the 50s, it's kind of like this... England's looking back to the 80s, so this song's like the 80s, and it's looking back to the 50s. I don't know. There's something cool about that where, like— It all gets mixed up in this kaleidoscopic kind of sound that they create. I also interpret Where Do I See the Light? It's All Gone Dead in a Way as another entry into the sun motif. Uh, kind of Beautiful. Like, Damon's lyrics on this are so good. Oh, I don't think that there's a bum lyric on this record. I think he's he's at the top of his game as a poet on here. and Which is, like, such a departure from Demon Days, where it's almost <laughs> just, like, free association coming out of his for mouth. Sure. You know? For sure, I mean, like, he, he squeezes so out some great lines on Demon Days, but but I mean, there's poems on this record for sure. Yeah, this is this is like this is super ego, uh, Damon. Whereas Demon Days is like id Damon. Yeah, for sure. You referenced it earlier, but do you want to talk about Northern Whale? It's Northern Whale. This is uh this is another song that doesn't have Tony Allen on it, but I really like the kind of click clacky drum machines that Danger Mouse adds here, so I'm not going to fault him on it. Here's the first time I feel like the the band is scratching their head a little bit to figure out how they wrap around this like sequencer blip bloop part. Uh, like it seems it seems kind of like they eventually found a groove that kind of works, but yeah, here's here's a good example of what I would maybe characterizes a little bit of stiffness. Although I think this is a lovely song. This is about the time when, like you said, a whale got stuck in the Thames River. And Damon saw it. Damon saw it. It was a big news story. Uh, he, I he, can't really remember what Simon Tong is doing on this one, but I, I really... Oh, uh, uh, he's doing I, that little slide chord version. Right. I really like what Damon's doing here, though. You know, he plays a lot of... Um, he spends a lot of time playing piano on this album, but I really love when he starts fucking around with his synths, and he almost goes into kind of like an 8-bit chip tune sound here at the end. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a very Gorillaz-y idea i think that's happening synth on the synth work in this song um right you can really feel the danger mouse influence too on this one i think but i also think that the melodic choices especially in the in the chorus here are very blur i think that this is like he's using a lot of his blur moves here especially in the end of uh and Leslie and I love his little ad lib the oh, no, no, no. Da, 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 da. that's really nice Isn't yeah this pretty? is such a pretty song and the best lyric is everyone hallucinating on you. You know what that reminds me of? It reminds me of that, like, maybe apocryphal tale of how the Native Americans saw the pilgrim ships coming, but their brains couldn't understand it because it was so out of place that, like, they hallucinated that they were monsters or couldn't see anything at all. Like, how Lovecraftian. I like that a lot. Yeah, for sure. Everyone hallucinating on you. Like, a whale in the Thames is this such a bizarre thing that, that London couldn't, you know, conceive of it, you know? Maybe it's an old god washed up from the sea. <laughs> <laughs> Love for sure. It. Let's do a quick list. Let's do a quick list. I think now that we've now that we've officially talked about every whale song in the Gorillas canon, let's rank the whale songs. We've got we, we've got Five Whales in a Dream. We've got right. Plastic Beach. We've got right. Northern Whale. And then let's uh -huh. just let's just throw in the Book of Two Ds on this list, even though it's not technically massive a song. dick. Massive dick. <laughs> What's your what what bottoms out the list? What's the worst of these? <sighs> the worst. I mean, like. Five Wheels in a Dream might have to, like, I, I do really enjoy that one, and I really like thinking of it as, like, a can song now. That's a lot of fun, so thank you, Maxton. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, just because, you know, it doesn't feel as developed as the other ones, maybe, so I'd have to slot it down there at the bottom. I think it might go number one, Plastic Beach, uh, number two, Five Wheels in a Dream, number three, Northern Whale, number four, uh, The Book of 2D for me. 
that, that one would be at the top of my list. So after that, we're probably... <laughs> It's tough going between this and Plastic Beach for me because I really like this a lot. And like the more I think about it, the more I like it. But I mean, I'd have to probably stick with Plastic Beach. It's such a jam, and some of the best lyrics on a on a gorilla's a song, in my opinion. Just the imagery. They're of a it. lot of fun. I, I don't have much else to say about Northern Well. Are you ready to move on to Kingdom of Doom? Kingdom of Doom. That that sound that Simon keeps hitting here. I love it. This might be, in my opinion, the first like classic cut of this record. I really love this song. Um, oh yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, it was the second single, I think, and yeah, this one feels like one of the keepers from this era you know it feels definitive of this this work the sun motif is back when the sunset wheel begins turning into the night which is the the sun leaving us behind the moon's out though too you know you can you got some ravens flying across it the second half of that lyric though i see everything in black and white that's such a good lyric like so when, good when we're at war especially unjust war the world feels like it's frighteningly and simplistically divided into like the evil and the resistance in the world you know and this is the same Damon that wrote demon days for sure absolutely what great lyrics what great lyrics uh, these arrangements are so bizarre and they could almost get in the way of the songwriting like especially Damon's kind of a relentless plink 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 but they but they work they work somehow like there's a much more traditional approach that the band could have taken to this song, and it might have really like resonated as like a more standard classic entry in the in the Damon uh-huh. catalog. But right. but all the weird choices here only help, in my opinion. How would you describe that sound Simon keeps making with his guitar? I don't. I don't even know. It's like. It's like see, uh, like see, like I've been trying to pin it down. I feel like since I heard this album, and now like like it makes sense to me because I was like reading the lyrics, and you know, you got this these lyrics about a sunset wheel, and it sounds like spinning. Oh yeah, that's a good point. It is. It sounds it is like very... it's like he's spinning a giant like wheel fortune esque thing, and like every every option is like England is really sad. Maybe a little Ouroborosy too. Yeah, 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 yeah. I really uh, another lyric I really like is a love song for the collaboration. Like, I don't know what collaboration means in this context, but it makes me think of, like, political subterfuge or something, like, or the way you'd collaborate on a crime. Yeah. It, it makes me feel like I'm in, like, a Lacar novel. It feels like it's connected to that that idea of, like, the black and the white and perhaps unholy alliances between them. Yeah, like, this song is basically asking to be adapted into, like, a political thriller. Damon's kind of back to his undersold history song style on the verses, but he really busts out vocally on the on the on the hook. Um, the the whole band gets to kind of rock out at the end of this one too. Like if you look at uh, if you look at like some live performances, this is about as animated as they get. And Tony again is like not present for a lot of this song. <laughs> nope, just not here. He's he's on he's on like two songs on like um I think he's on two songs on the first half of this record. Yeah, yeah. We've only heard from him once so far. I know, and he's he's arguably like the instrumental genius of the band. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> By far the most influential and the How most hallowed figure. How like, weird. Seriously, Danger Mouse must have been like, hey, uh, Tony, can you go uh, pick up some lunch for us? Like, <laughs> so, sure. Is this wrong? Like, and like, like, let's just say it, he gets rustled here. Like, how does he this does happen? Like, two here. Damon bands in a row. No kidding, yeah. You get this really, like, great... Like black drummer, and then he's just, just nowhere. He's like, just nowhere. Get this guy on a kit. And yet, every time he shows up, it's so incredible that like he feels like a big part of this album. So. Right? Yeah. I mean, it'd be nice if he's on this next song, right? Herculean. This to me is the stiffest song on the record, and it was also the the first preview track. 
It is, and I think it serves as a really great centerpiece. It, it, I, there's a lot I like about it. There's a lot that I like about it. I like, it's, it, it explores a lot of the same themes of Demon Days, where it's like, there's a coming apocalypse, and then it's mixed with the kind of quotidian daily life in the West imagery. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I love Tony on the song. His entrance feels so exciting. When he finally shows up, it's great. He only plays on the interludes and the outro, which is weird and cool. I like the way that he's used sparingly here. Yeah, I mean, I guess I guess so. But it feels like in the other parts of the song, Danger Mouse is also kind of trying to like emulate him. Maybe a little bit, but but quietly. So it still kind of explodes yeah. when he shows up. Um, yeah, this I think this one does sound the most like a gorilla song here. Maybe you're right. I would almost I would almost tie it with northern whale just because of that synth piece but but yeah, yeah i could yeah. feel that uh I, I wanted to i wanted to ask you what do you think the title refers to because you know like herculean means like in some way comparable to hercules but yeah. what is damon using it to describe here i think that it's he's talking about how try just trying to show up to work every day and wash your face and do the do the daily grind is so fucking hard i, when, I totally feel that and like you know listening to this song today like more than ever when i think about the like loops of cognitive dissonance I have to jump through just to get out of like bed in today's world it feels like more timely than ever absolutely one, one of my favorite one of my favorite lyrics is um the medicine man's here 24 7 you can get it fast in Armageddon really good because like I, I like take anxiety meds but when you think about how many people like need that kind of stuff in this day and age it makes you think about the state of things like uh Tom York said red wine and sleeping pills yeah exactly and 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 again just the way that 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 line resolves with Tony's entrance is so exciting. That's such a good, mm-hmm. what a good drummer. He's such a good drummer. <laughs> and they, Danger Mouse really is working overtime here too. This song almost doesn't sound like it's by like a band at all. It's just this not. huge kind the, of The, the, the outro is really beautiful too with the oohs and the ahs are very mm-hmm. beautiful. Definitely. Uh, Behind the Sun is... This next one's very beautiful too. It's also very dubby. It's got this very dubby like verse and intro, you know? Very much. And um, uh, Simon's guitar really also recalls the specials, I think. Like Ghost Town. I get that kind of vibe from it. This is in my top three, by the way. This is probably like... Uh probably number number three that's really cool i i like the song quite a bit too i th- there's that lyric in it that feels like the uh, uh, one of the most like because i feel like the difference here on demon days and and good bad queen is that it's like this feels like much more of an indictment of the british people at times um really interesting i've so always like, there's that lyric in this song the hard day come from the magical lamp that you touch which feels like this indictment of greed like our, the, all the things that we wanted and wished for and yearned for are what brought us to this point in time you know i've always i've always interpreted it as kind of more like an innocent read like i feel like it's very mccartney-esque like it sounds to me like a song about like the importance of not losing sight about the things that made you feel hopeful when you were younger. I think like it's totally just, that, I think it's an act of juxtaposition of, of present horrors with the simplicity of childhood. Like I've, I've always thought this one was like about like remembering like emotional refuge. I think we're literally just cutting back and forth to like a simpler earlier time and, and the horrors of the present day. But I'm, I will I'm say, stuck in time. Damon's falsetto here is really lovely. Although that little legato that he's doing, the cool breeze, that 
That's a pretty direct lift from 13 by Big Star. I don't know if you've noticed that before. I love that song, though. It is, but I mean, Never I Never drawn like that connection. Interesting. It's, 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 it's very, very similar, the, the move that he does there. Obviously, the sun motif is, uh, is still present mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. And I love the strings on this track. The, the strings throughout this album are great, but this one's a real highlight. This and another song that we'll talk about later. There's more interpolation happening here, because when the strings come in, that cello part is it's also kind of like doing an interpolation of, of uh, that Edvard Grieg uh, song, Morning Mood. You know that bet? Oh yeah, I guess so. Which which makes me think we're talking about, we're thinking about sunrise here when he's talking yeah. about the cool breeze behind the sun. And again, I feel like the sun hasn't come up. He's just remembering times when it has been up, you know? Still wandering through the darkness. The chorus and the verses feel a little bit like segregated from each other here, but I don't mind that. Yeah, they, they definitely have like a different sound to, um, sound to, I guess, themselves. I mean, like the verses feel very kind of spooky. And like I said, the, the courses feel a lot lighter. Delicate. Delicate's a good word for it, yeah. And, and I think Damon's voice here is really lovely. Like at times his, his falsetto is very, very vulnerable sounding, you know, like he's not, he's not going for, he's not going for like the slickest takes here. He's going for like the, maybe the rawest and the, and the most vulnerable sounding takes. And it makes for a really lovely performance, I think. Yeah. And you know, I often, when, when Damon goes into like emotional mode, like I often have like a hard time kind of buying it just because like, you know, he's such a performer, but whenever he like kind of tugs at your heartstrings on this album, I really... Like, it really strikes me as very genuine. Yeah, I agree with you. Top hat aside, there's not a lot of showman Damon happening No, he's, he's really on display here. I think this is a very, this cuts, a lot of this cuts very close to home for him, and you can tell. He's being, he's being very personal, and he's also being very English, especially on this next song, which is English as fuck. This one is great. <laughs> like, it's between this one and, like, another one for my top three, but... Can, can I use the song as like an ex, like an excuse to talk about Danger Mouse's production? I feel like I've been like circling it, but I really want to nail it to the floor here. Yeah, fuck yeah. So this song is called Bunting Song. Bunting Song. And bunting is like kind of like like fabric decorations and stuff you hang outside at a festival. You know, like those triangular flags and stuff like that. You know how you know how that weirdo who you hung out with in college in his dorm, he had those like Indian prayer flags? That's the type of bunting. Sure, something like that. But like like I, I have um I have a history with this album too. It's not like you know I didn't I didn't move to England or anything like that. Like I think I was in like my second year of high school when this came out. Sure. And it was the first like big Damon Auburn project that like you know was happening since I got into Gorillas. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was following his, Damon's career pretty closely, which like at that time involved listening to like bootlegs of all the shows that the Good, the Bad, and the Queen were doing running up to the album release. Like they would play like around pubs and they played at like the BBC Electric Proms and they would just play like the album straight through. Right, right. So I had like a couple bootlegs that I would just listen to before this album came out. And like it was just like four dudes playing like pop songs, you know? But then like like the album comes out and it's like, surprise, Danger Mouse has turned them into this kind of like a weirder, almost electronically like psychedelic band. At the time, I think very much to the chagrin of a lot of the people in the Damon Arbin, Albarn fan community. The production was initially like a really big stumbling block for me and I didn't like it at first, but in time I learned to really enjoy it. And like, like I've said, sometimes he gets in his own way, but I really like appreciate the character his production adds and like, the way it kind of warps the experience that like in a way that almost reminds me of like um 
like the literary genre magical realism. Oh, sure. Like a hundred years of solitude and things like that. Yeah. And like the, like these songs are like memories we're having, but because they exist in our mind, like the experience can become supernatural. Like I wouldn't have been surprised if like, uh, there was a song on this record where Damon like met King Arthur or something, which goes back to what I was saying about this England being unstuck in time. There's so much imagery of that. So like, I guess in England, there's a lot of kind of certain events or, or holidays where, where traditionally bunting would be hung, um, mm-hmm. St. George's Day and that sort of thing. And also, I mean, to, to continue the Englishness of the song, it even directly references an English nursery rhyme, by Baby Bunting. Mm-hmm. This, this song makes me think of like a small British like pastoral community sequestered somewhere in the woods, kind of like... Pulling all their pulling all their stuff out to get ready for like a traditional festival or something. For sure, that that nursery rhyme will put you right into that spot too. Bye, baby bunting. Daddy's gone a hunting. Gone to get a rabbit skin to wrap the baby bunting in. Yep, I feel like I've grown up in this like community straight out of like the village by M Night Shyamalan or something. And even that one lyric, they 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 put on a party and waited for the sunlight to recall. It almost reminds me of like more of the pagan roots of of high English culture, you know, of like these festivals that you would do during the long winter months in the hope yeah. that it would bring, you know, sunlight and it, warmth. It really feels like Damon is reaching all the way back there for that aspect of English culture to like add in here. And Paul really uh, establishes himself on this song as a player of weird bass lines. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Everybody's great here though. Like, yeah, I, I love that. I love that, like that high pitched voice that, Danger Mouse chooses to echo Damon's with. That's really Beautiful. cool. It took me, and it took a, me a, a while to get used way, to, but, but yeah, but like really, I said, it's like very pretty. like psychedelic almost. Yeah, I I, and, I like this song quite a bit too, actually. And Tony kills it here. Like the whole climax is very disheveled, and it feels like the song is collapsing in on itself in a really cool way. Like time is compressing. I don't very know. Exciting. I didn't. I never loved this one when this album first came out, but I have like it has grown leaps and bounds on me. Like revisiting it for the show i would love to know who baby bunting is sort of in in damon's eye and in his mind like is is baby bunting just like the personification of british innocence i think there's a lot of personification of all kinds of different british things here going on in this album yeah definitely yeah next is nature springs which is another song that really really grew on me this revisit i forget about the song a lot i don't i never immediately think of this one when i think of this album it's you know what? it's very in rainbowsy the the arrangements here aren't they the- oh totally yeah i like that a lot that's a cool read and this one almost it foreshadows like plastic beach in a way like not only is damon singing about submarines but some of the stuff he does with his keyboards makes makes it sound like we're actually on one sometimes and if you weren't convinced that this is a very good album yet uh, Damon references Lord Hill's Bridge, which is in Westbourne, uh, an area of London that is named after a spring. So now you should be really impressed and think that this is a pretty good album, Trevor. Sure. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> of course. At the very least, it's very English. The climax of this one is also really kind of really something. Like, I think it might be the best moment for the band. Oh, on the yeah. Album. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I- oh my. Like, the first half of this song is good. I'm not actually crazy about the whistle solo by itself, but the way that it kind of works with what Simon's doing in the picking behind it, I think it actually does work. Simon's guitar fucking rules here. And you've also got Damon doing that ominous low humming along with the whistling. Definitely. And great imagery too. Everyone's a submarine. Really good imagery happening here. Yeah, but that climax, the band is really firing on all cylinders here. The the lyric of the song is a short poem. Uh, In fact, these... 
it's a, it forms a pair with the next song we'll talk about too in that regard. I guess the way that I've, I've always kind of interpreted this lyric is that it's about how we, the culture is paused during a time of war, you know? Like we have to kind of give way to the natural progression and development of our identity and who we are as a people and allow kind of the generals to decide who we are for a while, you know? So so this war do you, he keeps referencing, do you take that to be like the conflict in the Middle East? I think that, that all war is evil in the in the parlance of this record. Mm-hmm. But I think when he uses the word war in his lyric, I believe that he is that he is directly talking about what the war in Iraq is doing to the the English identity and how guilty the English need to feel about their part in it. That's so interesting because I mean, like the war in Iraq and stuff that that always feels so American to me. It was so fucking English. And and while I was in was London, it? interesting. Yeah, while I was in London, there were daily like marches happening of of British infantry who were like ready to be shipped out the next day. Ba- I guess in England they do things a little bit more traditionally. So like people would gather to watch the the soldiers who were going to ship off to Iraq the next day do this like traditional march in the park man it was fucking dark dude it was fucking I mean, dark I mean, yeah like whenever when, like i said whenever i like think of like war in the context of this album i think of like young british men going off to die in like europe not the middle east but i mean in, in yeah, a way maybe, it was maybe, kind of right up in your face the war in yeah Iraq maybe was. maybe more of this album takes place in the present than i've ever given it credit for for sure um and again, it, well, I, I did criticize that little whistle solo, but I, but I do think it works in the context of the piece that it's in. I think it's really cool, and we got to talk about those strings because they kick ass. They're here. gorgeous. They're gorgeous. I also love the the synth and the pre-chorus. Like all of the arrangements on this song are really pretty. I think the strings almost feel like they're kind of playing a slowed down version of the psycho music, like from the shower scene. I can it's totally got the same kind that. of pitch to it. I think that Nature Springs really, really companions nicely with this next song, A Soldier's Tale. I think um, Bunting Song through A Soldier's Tale make a nice little kind of arc, almost. Oh, I could feel that. I could definitely yeah. feel that. I think the whistling on this song is much nicer, though. I love This the one's very on nice. I always love when Damon goes into pastoral folk mode, and like this one reminds me some of the better moments of his opera, Dr. D. Yeah, the strings here are very romantic and very beautiful. Um, and hearing him hearing him sing about computers here, like I said, is kind of weird for me. It yeah, feels it is like, weird, right? feels very contemporary on a song and like an album that, for the most part, do not. For some reason, this song makes me think about like insomnia. Like he does talk about, uh, you know, it, be, it being late night and worrying about computers. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. This is both of these lyrics, "Nature Spring" and "A Soldier's Tale," and yeah, "Bunting Song" too. They're they're really strong. I think they're they're yeah. really nice pieces of writing. Um, this one's always made me think of like not that this is an experience I know anything about, but like you know, like coming back from a war and kind of having to ingratiate yourself back into everyday civilian life but you know there's some like stuff about you that's never going to be like unchanged yeah i that's a, that's a really good take on it too like i totally actually see that in, in the lyrics like this sounds like a very like rehabilitatory song i feel that and and you know even though he says a soldier's tale i think he's kind of calling you know the average british joe a soldier here i don't know that he's like actually talking about army navy air force or anything i like that read of it a lot too yeah there are three songs left on this album, and now we've finally gotten to the first of my top three. Well, this one kind of counts as three songs in itself, doesn't it? Three changes. Number one on the record for me, this song is fucking sick. This sick. one is really cool. And like, 
Okay, I've told you that I like had heard this song a few times before I'd heard it on the actual album. Uh-huh. It is nothing like the live version, which is kind of just like a straightforward like indie rock song almost. Danger Mouse really fucked this one up. In amazing uh, in, in, ways. A, in a good way. In a good way. He fucked with it. He didn't like fuck it up. You know, it, it like it's really cool on the album. Honestly, it, honestly, if this band had just issued this song as a sequence, that would have been like a relevant moment in Damon Albarn's career. Like, it, this hits every theme on the record in in, yes. in good ways. Uh, this feels like the plastic beach of this album, and that it kind of only it makes. It only makes sense in the context of the record, but because but we get it since we've listened to most of the record by now. Absolutely. Like this feels like where we've been going to. And I think the band as a unit has never sounded better and will never sound better on this record. I think that they're a fucking machine on this song. They really lock into parts. And when they played this live, this would always like kind of like bring the house down, you know? And it's in the part of the album to do it. For sure. And and we've got that sun motif. The day is dull and mild. We've got this endless overcast that never never lets up. But I, I love I love how I love how violent this song gets too. Yeah, so this is a this is a perfect example of what I'm talking about of like it having such a different perspective than Demon Days in a way because like at this point on Demon Days we're we're getting into Don't Get Lost in Heaven Demon Days territory where it's like come on we can make it we can make the change we can do it and this is much darker and more fucked up it's a, it's much more like I will persist in spite of all of you fucked up idiots like I don't Not care gonna anymore. Not going to be a victim. This sounds like we're burning down Parliament. Exactly, exactly. Like, this is what I hear when I look at that album cover. It's really good. What's up with that little, like, brief... Uh, the laugh? No, the little lounge. The little... I, I, I know, yeah. I mean, th- I know that this was originally three kind of, like, half songs that Danger Mouse kind of helped them work together into one kind of, like, changing piece, hence the name. So... I don't know. Maybe that's like a little sketch that they decided to just include as kind of like, um, you know, like a little interlude. It's kind of cool, but holy shit, Tony Allen is a, a demon. I don't know how the fuck he's doing some of this stuff. And this his, is also my favorite Paul uh, Paul bass work on the album. I think that the the two of them lock together better than anywhere else on the album. Like like really good. Somehow Tony and Paul, whose whose playing styles could not really be more different, found the common grammar between their styles on this one and and create such a synergy and. Tony's fills are crazy. Sometimes he does these whole fills just on the floor, Tom, and like, holy shit, man, this is a tour de force performance from Tony. Uh, I love this song. It's my favorite on the album. I love this song. What do you think of the version of this on that Damon Live solo album, Live at the DD Dur Dur? It would have been really excited for him to bust it out on the tour, but I'm, it's not one that I go back to or anything. Right, it's got a very long extended outro though, which is kind of fun. I think I remember Shea doing some interesting stuff on that though. Shea Adelaikan doing some mm. some cool guitar work on that. Um, but I'd have to go back to it. I'm not sure. Yeah. Next we have um, Greenfields. Yeah, this is number three on the album for me the, of my top three. I think this is really pretty. It's very Beatles-esque. It has an interesting story. Do you know the story about this? I, I do know the story because Damon would fucking say it over and over again when well, he was then, promoting then this tell album. It, tell it to the good people at home. I only like half remember it, dude. Do you know it? Yeah, I do. Like, Marian are you ready Faithful. to go? It's like, yeah, he wrote a song and then Marion Faithful used it and then he remembered the song while uh, drinking with Alex from Blur one night and he no, kind of rewrote quite. it. You almost got no, it. No, okay. almost got Keep, it. So, why don't why don't you regal us? Marianne Faithful, if you don't know, was like a, a celebrity of the 1970s. She was 
I guess most famous really for dating Mick Jagger, but she also had like a, a career as kind of an easy listening pop vocalist. Uh, uh-huh. In fact, famously in the song Can't You Hear Me Knocking, when Mick Jagger sings, Yeah, You Got Cocaine Eyes, uh, he was talking about Marianne Faithful, and she definitely did. Her eyes are <laughs> always kind of like bleary and fucked up. Anyway, uh, so Alex Jane from Blur and Marianne Faithful and Damon Albarn all went out for drinks. I guess they were talking about working, and uh, they overdid it. They took a cab home to Marianne Faithful's place. They were all hanging out and chatting, and then Damon disappeared into Marianne's uh, studio downstairs um, and came back up, and they were like, where were you? And he was like, I don't know. And then they continued. And then the next day, Marianne found this demo uh, in, the, in, in like the the recorder, the four-track or whatever of her, of her studio and uh, phoned him up when she was working on her next album saying, hey, you, you made this lovely demo. I'd love to do a version of it for my next album. And he was like, I don't remember making this song at all, but sure. Uh, and so the version of the song that we have on here has kind of like a new lyric that is kind of about that experience, I guess. Yeah, it's become a song about a song, as he'd, like to, he'd love to talk about. But like, the, Damon loved telling this story. But I'll tell you, the, the chorus, which I believe is kind of, like, sung from the perspective of the Earth mourning man and the development and, and sort of prostitution of the Earth, that we saw mm-hmm. the green fields turn into stone, is, like, gorgeous, gorgeous. And It's really nice. The chorus, chorus is very beautiful. cool. This absolutely makes it onto, like, my my all-time like Damon Albarn melancholy playlist. I think it's, I think it's beautiful. Beautiful. I, the verses are very nice. Like again, more of that pastoral folk stuff. But then when the chorus hits, it almost kind of turns into this like psychedelic little carnival jaunt with like Damon's organ. It feels very surreal and very dreamlike. Yeah. It's like, it's kind of, it's a mix of like what George Harrison was doing at that part of the sixties with what John Lennon was doing during that part of the sixties in a way. Like it's got that. It's so pretty. It's, so pretty. Yeah, it really feels like we go into slow motion there. One of my favorite Paul Simonon moments on this is how he brings us back into each verse with that bum 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 bum. That's so good. He's really great. Yeah, I don't know. This is this is kind of lovely. And Marianne Faithful's version of this song, which has a totally different lyric from her solo album, is nice too. You should check it out. Yeah, maybe I will. But for now, let's check out the last song on this album. <laughs> the title the track. The good, the bad, and the queen great you put a lot of commas in there i've noticed <laughs> well some of them are ellipses oh, this said, probably yeah. rounds on my top three this one or bunting song I this take, is my number two one. this is my number two i think that this is still some of the greatest keys work in damon albarn's entire career and it's also it's also got some of the best guitar work on a damon albarn song too i think i really love what simon's putting down here this is the culmination of the sun motif it is. This is our demon days. This is when everything parts. The sun came out of the clouds and charged up the satellites, and we all got our energy back and started talking again. And Turn yourself I, around to the sun. I watched this happen. <laughs> I watched this happen in about, like, uh, June of 2006, when finally we had our first bright blue sunny day of the summer in, in London, and it was like... I woke up in a different country. Everybody was like out and partying and having a good time. It, it was it, this lyric really nailed that experience in my life. Also, it's this has that classic British humor in it with the great lyric, "Don't kick the crack crackheads off the green. They're, They're a political, political party." party. 
I like that a lot. It's the blessed routine for the good, the bad, and the queen. So good. And man, the outro is so satisfying. The whole the outro is really good. First of all, though, I, so I, I love that little bite Simon adds to his guitar when Damon says the name of the band or the project or whatever. I think that's really charming. <laughs> it's almost like he's playing like their jingle or something. It's well, I have one very specific like live bootleg of this song that I really loved, where like he would sing the good, the bad, and the queen, and Simon would go like Branham, and like the like the audience just kind of started applauding a little bit, and it was such a great moment because oh, you know fun. it's like it's like here we are, we made it. It's like it's like you're reading it's like you're reading a novel and like in the last chapter one of the characters drops the name of the novel in some dialogue. You're like that's why it's called that. <laughs> and like the last two thirds of this song are, are kind of dedicated to this so good. huge like slow speed up of a jam. And yeah, like yeah. even though Damon is the furthest back in the mix, his piano hammering is astounding. Like yeah, fuck Ike Turner. Like. The, Fuck the, Ike Turner. The, Let's the, just say it. The, Fuck Ike Turner. The great, like, cacophonous piano hammering that David's doing here, I think, Castrophonous, is so almost. Castrophonous, exactly. I like it a lot. And like I said, I love, like, all of the, like, kind of, like, fierce textures Simon's adding here. Like, I, I cannot I cannot understate how much I appreciate his his guitar work on this album. It's really special. It's really special. It makes me think they should let that one dude in Radiohead do some more stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows? Who uh, knows? Yeah, maybe maybe he'll join the Grand Man the Queen and they'll have w- two half guitarists in the band. <laughs> <laughs> I, I also I love the note that this one goes out on too. I mean, like the jam kind of peters out, and, but then we're left with this kind of like almost little music box version of it. Really cool. It, it sounds like it might have been like an early exploratory take of the song or something that they've kind of like affected and put some filters on. Um, it's very wintry. It's 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 really fun, and and just and the band did such a good job just selling the imagery of what of the sun finally coming up on England, you know. Mm-hmm. It just definitely stands like shoulder to shoulder to Demon Days. I think. Yeah, definitely. I think just the way. Yeah, just the way that the that the London Community Gospel Choir sold that moment on on Demon Days. I think the boys are all selling it really good here. It's a great parallel. Really good, really good, yeah. man. And that's a uh, TGTB ampersand TQ <laughs> for sure, for sure. Before we start talking, before we stop talking about these boys, though, I, I want to recommend that everybody go out and look for a. Uh, this album's B-sides. They're all really ones. good. Yeah. There's like there's like six or so of them. Like um, there's this kind of really cool instrumental jam back in the day. There's a really interesting piece called Mr. Whippy. Mr. Whippy some, like, is great. Really cool. It has some spoken word by I can't remember who it is. Yeah, this week I found somebody on YouTube who just like had a good little playlist of all of the non-album. Uh, I have um I have a little EP in my iTunes library that I made myself called Kingdom of Doom. You know what? I think here's here's the note I want to go out on with this record is that we need the next one. Like fucking Yeah, I'm I really would love another record by these guys. Although honestly, without Danger Mouse's production, it's I, I don't know, it's going to be different. It it's will definitely going to be a different animal. But as much as this album speaks to me in 2017 about the realities of of our time, not just for England, but kind of for the world and for western life as we kind of know it. Uh I need more of that. I need I need this form of writing from Damon at this at this time in my life. It would be just I don't know, it would be something that would maybe not necessarily pick me up but be meditative for me. Yeah, I mean D- Humans was also kind of a meditation on like the state of the world, but he really 
let the collaborators kind of take the front seat with that one and dictate what was going to like be said on the record. So it'd be cool to see him actually us to get our, his perspective on this. And I mean, the, the, the ugly, the ugly head of nationalism is, is rearing itself in all corners of, of England. So there are plenty of, of, there's plenty of inspiration for him to write a classic. Uh, with this outfit again so come on damon you can do it do you think it'll have an album title or something that's what i wonder like is warner music gonna gonna shut themselves when he's like no don't put good bad queen on the on the rec on the album cover because it's not the name of the band the, the good the bad and the queen too even <laughs> even brexiter <laughs> definitely definitely go look out for those b-sides too i really i wanted to mention a doghouse that one's my favorite give really cool spin. instrumental jam give it a spin Give it a spin. Give this record a spin too, you youngins. And what record should they give a spin so that they're ready to uh, keep up with us next week? What are we going to be talking about? <laughs> I forgot. I don't have the list in front of me. Ah, we're going to be. We're going to. It's this is this is pretty much the closest to a Gorillaz album you're going to get next week. Oh we're going to be God, talking right. about Monkey Journey to the West. Journey the, to uh, the West. The accompanying soundtrack to Damon Auburn and Jamie Hewlett's mandarin opera from what 2008 yeah something like that this is this, this one's is, gonna be a real pain in the ass to talk about i can already feel it i'm i'm both scared and excited but it's kind of it's in some ways it's a little horrifying that it's taking us this long because it's, it's it's seriously it's, this is like a i hate to say it but this is kind of a fucking gorillas project so they they talked about it in like the press as if it was they they mentioned like it's a it, we wanted to release it as a gorillas thing but the label wouldn't let us but we'll get all into that next week until until then do you want to say where our loyal listeners can find us online yes absolutely you can find us on twitter and facebook and amino and instagram and tumblr you can join our discord at uh discord.me slash monkeys with a z you can send us an email to hallelujahmonkeys at gmail.com be sure to check out our youtube page which is maintained by the fabulous stew pot or stew potato on deviantart uh thank you so much to those of you who leave us reviews on itunes and even more thank you to the generous few of you who have decided to Open up your pocketbooks and go to patreon.com slash hallelujah monkeys to help with the cost of uh, the server and, and keeping the show free to you, the listener. We really, really appreciate it. And don't forget to stick around after the outro song to hear uh, a brand new world premiere exclusive from Gorillas vs. Log S. That again, work it out. Work it out. Yeah, we got Log S coming up next, uh, but that's about all the time that me and Dylan have so for now I've been Trevor Ikra I've been Dylan Flynn and until next week don't get lost in heaven demo Your brothers are your left and you turn your back You slide across the space and diagonal fast And you kick and you jump and you
I didn't uh, set up to play clips, so I don't know if we actually want to do that dare clip that we teased in the last episode or just skip it. I think we should do that as like a deleted scene at the very end of the show because it doesn't like we <laughs> we already have a lot of news. You know That's what I true. mean? Yeah, yeah. There's a- like let's do like let's do the show and then we'll play Jack's song 
Right. And then we'll do then And then we'll drop the clip about Dare. Yeah. <laughs> so Dylan, did you see Sean Ryder's been in the news again? Yeah. And fortunately it wasn't at least we can say this time the police weren't involved and there were no substances involved. No, nothing nothing seized in large quantities. No, yeah, nothing like that. Uh but he look he looks healthy. Don't you think he looks better? Oh yeah. I mean, and he was very lucid. Like I was very surprised by how articulate he sounded. But you know, most of my exposure to him has been on dare and in surrounding like gorillas interviews so let's let's recap so there's the story that started coming out around the time the dare single was issued right yeah if you're a gorillas fan you've you've heard this (laughs) you've probably heard this story before so i don't know why we're going into it but you know yeah let's get everybody else caught up they they claimed that the hook from dare well first of all it was it was supposed to be called it's there it's there and then plus at one point Sean Ryder's headphones weren't loud enough. And he, he went in. He went into the. He went into that vocal booth to track <laughs> some vocals for "It's There." But quick, quick snag in the proceedings. He couldn't hear himself in his headphones. You know, when you go in and record a track, you you typically get something called a monitor where you hear what you're saying into the mic through your headphones. But he couldn't hear it. Right, and so he was he was asking for his headphones to come out. He's he like, said, "Hey, boys." Volume up a little bit, please. I can't. <laughs> you know, anybody who started an Eminem song will be familiar with this kind of dilemma. And then he goes, "It's coming up. It's 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 coming up." And what did he, what did he say when they finally reached that optimal level? <laughs> he said, "It's there." Is that what he said, Dylan? Well, that's what he tried to say. That's what he tried to say, but he's got quite the uh, thick accent, our Mister Ryder, Madchester. Uh, yeah, he said, "It's dare. It's dare." And. Uh, one of the most popular guerrilla singles of all time was born. Right, but then was the song already called It's There before that? Again, there's a lot of things that don't seem to add up in this fucking story. But it's, it's one of those pieces of guerrilla's lore where, you know, nothing is ever quite as it seems. For sure. But we did have Carrie Levy on the show and we did ask him about it. And he said that it was like mostly a true anecdote. That was how the guerrilla's crew, the guerrilla's family sticks adamantly to this story. Yes, and then just now we had Sean Ryder on the pod, uh, on not a podcast but a radio show somewhere I think in Australia I think. Huh, okay. And then he basically just told the whole story again said that 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 it was just him ad-libbing not even trying to ad-lib but he came up with the hook cuz he wanted his headphones up according to to this man who again who knows how vivid his memories of this period of time are. It's a little too convenient, isn't it, that he's got this same exact story, like that we've heard from everybody else. Who's who's feeding these guys lies? Yeah, right, right. You know who I think is, it is. Is, is it who? Who do you think it is? I think it's it's Phase Three uh, side villain, the Evangelist, who we never even talked about on this show. <laughs> I was going to say Doctor Wurzel. Ooh, Doctor Wurzel. That's a good call. Although it might be, it might be. Might go all the way to the top, you know. It might be our boy Damon Auburn himself, because <laughs> I, as I think we, as as I'm probably sure we talked about on the episode, he he loves having these little stories about his songs that he will repeat ad infinitum because he never gets tired <laughs> of these little jokes that he has with himself. And usually, I, I feel like he's the he's a lot more amused by it. Sean, than anybody else. Your publicist told me that you're going to be on an Australian radio show. <laughs> if it comes up, I trust you know what to say. If it comes up, I trust you'll say, you'll, you'll stick to the party line, Sean. 
and the party line is what it is. Thank you. That's the perfect. That's the perfect describer for it. <laughs> John Ryder. Do you make money from the gorillas from Dare? Yeah, I do. Yeah. It's Dare. Now I can't remember if I have asked you this before. So if I have, apologize. The story I heard was go on <laughs> that that tune. Uh, the the lyric was it's there. And when you were in the studio, you were like, it's there. And they're like, it's, it's, it's there. And you go, it's there. And so they went, oh, do you know what? Just call it dare. Right, okay. That's what I heard. So my story is, right? Okay. <laughs> Damien gets up a beat and he gets, you know, the tune going. And, and I go in and, I, and I'm, I'm trying to get the cans to get in my ears. And I'm going, it's going up, it's going up, it's going up, it's going up. And I go, it's there. And, and and that's my story. Get out! Wow. Are you serious? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So really, that's, there was no lyric. So there was no song. So that's basically an outtake. Well, yeah. it was the first take, and and that's what you know he used. Now that's my story. Damon might tell a different story, but that's my story. So that easily oh, okay. could have been bit higher, bit higher, yeah, of course. bit higher. Yeah, yeah. Bingo. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Radio. It's there. Oh.